0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. If there is one person alive today that you could meet, who would that person be? And I want you to think about who that person is, and did somebody yell something I didn't hear? There was laughter, right? Jesus, yeah, okay, we're at church. That, all right, good answer, all right? Beyond Jesus, he's not alive and physically here. He is alive, all right. He's risen from the grave. But uh, who, who is somebody you'd meet and why would you want to meet them? So I want you to get that person in your mind. And then I want you to think about how would you prepare to meet that person? So say you, this person that on the earth, alive today, that you would want to meet and you know why you wanna meet them, and then how would you prepare to meet them? So if you knew next week, Friday, 7 p.m., you're gonna meet that person, how would you prepare for that meeting? Well, When I've been up in the Kids' Center lobby, I see a lot of, uh, and it's particularly in the the boys area, I see a lot of boys that are wearing Dude Perfect shirts or Dude Perfect hats. If you don't know who Dude Perfect is, they're YouTubers that have millions of followers. um, And it all started with the trick shot that people started watching and turning this whole empire that Dude Perfect has now. So imagine that you wanted to meet the Dude Perfect guys and you wanted to go to that meeting and meet them, you would prepare for that meeting by going and watching all of their videos, knowing their names, right? You would be ready for that meeting. The reality is as you would prepare for that, you would probably get some Dude Perfect swag to wear as well, right? Like you'd have a hat, you've had a t-shirt. You wouldn't show up to meet Dude Perfect with a Mark Rober t-shirt on, right? Or a Mr. Beast t-shirt. You would have the right gear on that you would be prepared to meet them with, because you would want to say, hey, I'm fans of yours. I'm ready to meet you. Well, in Psalms 15, what we have is we have a Psalm that is preparing us to be in the presence of God. So if you're going to meet God, this is what it's required of you to be in the presence of God. And so the outline of the Psalm goes this way. Verse one is a question. It's going to ask us, who can be in the presence of God? Then David is going to answer for us in verses 2 through 5. He's going to tell us, who's the person that can meet with God? Who's the person that can be in the presence of God? Preparing us to be in the presence of God. And then he ends with a promise. So let's look at this together. Verse 1, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? When he uses the term tent and holy hill, he's referring to the presence of God. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle of the tent. This is where God's presence was. So if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to where the tent was, where the holy hill was, to be in the presence of God. And so David is asking this question, who can be in the presence of God? Of all the questions we can ask in our life, there is no greater question than this, because this is the ultimate question of life and death. A hundred years from now, the answer to this question will make all the difference in your life. The question, This question is more important than the question of who you marry, where you go to college, Who, how much money you have in your savings account? What your favorite YouTuber is to watch? What you want to do with your life? All those questions, although maybe important, are not as important as answering the question, who can be in the presence of God? This is an eternal question because God is eternal. And so David, as they're singing this song, as they would enter the temple area to come into the presence of God, David is reminding the worshipers who can be in the presence of God. So he starts out this first lyric by drawing us to this ultimate question. And then in verses two through five, he answers the question by giving us 11 requirements to be or to live in the presence of God. This song is structured, if you look at your text, it's structured in such a way that it runs together. So from verse 2 to verse 5, you don't find a period until verse 5. So if you look at it in your text, you'll see it's semicolon after semicolon after semicolon after semicolon. The point that David is making in this song is that this is one person. Like this is not separate people, this is one person, this is one life requirement in order to enter the presence of God. So let's look at these together, verses 2 through 5. Here's the person who can enter the presence of God, who can be in the presence of God. David says, it is one who walks blamelessly. To walk blamelessly doesn't mean that the person is perfect. What it means is that they have honesty and integrity. So today we use statements like that person's the real deal. What are we saying about that person? That they're the same person in private that they are in public. When we say somebody is blameless, what we're saying is the same person that gathers in worship on Sunday is the same person on Friday night, Right? The same person that will be here this morning this morning, will be the same person that will be celebrating July 4th tomorrow. Like they're the real deal. That's what he says. Uh, who, who can enter the presence of God? It's the blameless per- person. It's the one who is the real deal. Then he says, and does what is right. The blameless person is one, or the one who can enter the presence of God is one who follows the commands of scripture. They do what is right. So here's the standard that God has set up and they follow God's standards. So they do what is right. Then he says, this is the number three, he speaks the truth in his heart. Now what he's doing here is he's contrasting what we talked about last week. Remember what the fool says in his heart? the fool says in his heart in Psalms 14.1, there is no God. Whereas the righteous person, so the depraved person lives as if there is no God, the righteous person speaks truth in his heart. He tells himself the truth that there is a God and he will give an account of his life to God. So he's contrasting the depraved person. Person that we talked about last week in Psalms 14.1 with the righteous person because they speak truth. They don't lie to themselves and say, there is no God, I can live whatever way I want. The righteous person speaks truth and says, no, we will give an account of our life to, to God. Number, verse three, he goes on and says, one who does not slander with his tongue. Simply put, this person doesn't gossip. They don't talk bad about people behind their back, right? They don't sit around somebody and then go out in the lobby and say, did you see how bad their kids were in church, right? Like they don't do that. They they don't talk bad about people. They don't slander people with their tongues. And he says, and does no evil to his neighbor. So he goes from words to actions, So not only are they talking bad about people, now they're trying to hurt their neighbor. They're trying to do evil to the people around them and hurt them, whether physical or other means. Emotionally, they're trying to do harm to the people around them. A a blameless person, one who can enter the presence of God, doesn't do that. Then he says, nor takes up reproach against his friend. One who can enter the presence of God is one who is a loyal friend is a good way to say that. So when somebody comes and talks bad about a person behind their back that's your friend, you stand up for them. You don't allow them to talk bad about your friend because you're a loyal friend. This is the person who can enter the presence of God. Then in verse 4. He goes on and says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. So the righteous person's eyes, a vile person is despised. What is a vile person? A vile person is one who is a rejected, could be a translation, a rejected person. Here's a way to think about it. If you go to Psalms 139, which we'll get to in about 14 years, 13 years, Psalms 139 in verse... Uh, 21 and 22, it says, do I not, this is the psalmist talking here, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, I count them as my enemies. So this is the idea of in whose eyes a vile person is despised, is that the things that God hates, they hate. The things that don't line up with God's standard are the things that they despise as well. What he's doing is he's getting to the heart of who we look up to. Because look at what he says on the next one. But who honors those who fear the Lord. The idea is we look up to those who fear God the Lord. Those who understand that they will give an account of their life to God and so it causes them to live differently because they're going to give an account of their life to God. So the righteous person or the one who can stand in the presence of God is one who hates the things that God hates and he honors those who God honors, those that fear the Lord. Then he says it's one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. The idea there is that This man or woman is a person of their word, that they keep their word no matter the cost to them. So if they say they're going to do something, they do it. Even if it costs them financially, even if it costs their own life, they follow through with it because they keep their word. They're a blameless person. They're a person of integrity. Then he says this in verse five, he gets real personal because he starts talking about their money. And he says, who does not put out his money at interest? Now, what is he saying there? That we shouldn't loan money and have interest be given back to us if we loan people money? This was the thought behind this. If you go to Exodus chapter 22 and Leviticus chapter 25, God had set up a law that if an Israelite and another Israelite were having financial struggles, like one was, and one was doing really well, that they could help them financially, but they were not to charge interest to their brother or sister in Christ, right? Or, or, or other Israelite. And so when he says who does not put out money at interest, it is that the person who has money is not using their money to take advantage of another person. So they were to loan them what they would need so that they could get their crops back up and going again, but they were just to give them back what they loaned them and not have interest on top of them. So they weren't using their money to take advantage of people. That's what he means by doesn't put out his money for interest. And then the last one he says is this, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Here's, Here's the idea. He is not bought. You can't buy the righteous man. You can't offer him enough money to go against the law of God, the standard of God. And so he says he doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. He doesn't go against the innocent because he is willing to be bought. So who can be in the presence of God? David answers it for us and says the one who lives a blameless life. And he lists all of these areas that we can live a blameless life in. But this blameless life that David is showing us comes with a promise. And the promise is the last sentence in the verse. He who does these things, all the things we just talked about, he who does these things shall never be moved. The benefit of living a blameless life is the promise of security in the presence of God. That's what he means by never be moved. Is that there's this sense, there's this reality of the presence of God. That who can enter the presence of God? This person that follows all of these things can confidently enter the presence of God and know that there is security in that. When I was growing up, my parents had certain standards for our home. And whether the standards were right or wrong, it's neither here nor there, but they had standards for me to follow. And there was a couple of standards that they had for me. One was we, I couldn't watch MTV uh, music videos, all right? And I know I'm dating myself with MTV music videos. So the ideas for the younger generation is you would turn on the television, you would turn the channel, to MTV and they would have music videos that you watch on YouTube. We could only watch them on this certain channel on TV. And so my parents didn't allow me to watch music videos. The second thing my parents, and there's many, but this is two of them. The second thing that they didn't allow me to do was call girls on the phone. So again, I know this is blowing people's minds in the room today. We didn't have cell phones when I was a teenager, okay? Our phones were in this inside your house. They were connected to a wall. We did have a wireless phone in our house, but that you couldn't leave the house, right? You still had to be at home. You couldn't carry it in your pocket and go wherever you wanted. But my parents said, you can't talk to girls on the phone. Well, every Thursday night, my parents would go out for visitation. What visitation means is they had a Sunday school class. They would go and visit people in their Sunday school class. Hey, how you doing? Pray with them. If we had guests at the church, they would go do that. Well, as I got older, they would leave me at home alone. And I was the youngest of three boys. And so what do you think I would do when my parents were not at home? I would open the curtains, all right, in the living room. I would turn on MTV and watch boys to men music videos, all right, and I would call my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Ruth, on the phone. And here's what I would do. I would sit right by the window and I would watch TV, talk to Ruth, and look up around the corner of Mound Jew Drive to see when my parents were coming so that as soon as I saw my parents coming around the corner, I could hang up the phone and turn off the TV, right? Kids, don't do that. If your parents have standards, follow your parents' standards, right? (laughs) But here was what would happen. When my parents would come in the house, how do you think that made me feel? Do you think I felt secure in my relationship with my parents? No, in reality, I felt really insecure. What if they pick up the phone and hit redial and it calls Ruth's house? What if they flip on the TV and I forgot to turn it back to ESPN, which is what we typically watched. And so they turn it on and it's on MTV. They'll know that I watched that. And so I lived in this sense of insecurity. And this is what he's saying. A person who does these things won't be moved. A person who follows God's standards won't be like me as a teenager that felt that insecurity in my relationship with my parents. That if we follow these standards, we can be in secure relationship with God. But here's the weight of today. The weight is this. Who can live up to these requirements? Right? Right? Like how many of you, when I went through those three verses, four verses really fast, were like, yeah, nailed every single one of those, check, 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 right? I think if we're honest with each other, you and I relate much more to Psalms 14 than we do to Psalms 15, right? We felt the weight of our depravity last week, and this week we feel the weight of our inadequacies, that when we look at Psalms 15, we know that we don't measure up. We know that we, who's, who can live that life? Who can follow all of those 11 requirements perfectly? We know that person ain't sitting in this room, right? We know you're not looking at a person who can fulfill all those requirements. So who's the one that can fulfill that perfectly? It leads us to Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, where it says, Jesus Committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, when we read Psalms 15 and we're trying to picture who is the person that can live out Psalms 15, it's Jesus. He lived that psalm perfectly. So as he goes in the presence of God, as he would come to the temple and they're singing, who can enter the presence of God? Jesus is like, you're looking at him. I never sinned. I can, I can come, I fulfilled all of those 11 requirements perfectly. I'm secure in my relationship with my father in heaven. I can be in the presence of God. But look at what Peter goes on to say for us. He says this in verse 24, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So Jesus, so Peter, as he's thinking through the life of Jesus, he says, Jesus died in your place for your sins so that you can live out Psalm 15. So that you can die to sin, Psalms 14, the depraved self, and you can live Psalms 15, the righteous life, the godly life. So how can we live it? Who's the one? Yeah, Jesus is the only one, but now you and I because Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved to die, and rose again so that now we can live our life through Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, who can live out Psalms 15? You can through Jesus. You can live to righteousness. You can live a godly life. You can live a life set apart from Psalms 14. You can live Psalms 15 because of Jesus. So how do we live this out? Well, let me give you some thoughts. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So here's what Paul modeled for us. How do we live out these commands of scripture through Jesus? We live it out with Humility. And the humility is this, that I understand that I don't measure up, that I am inadequate to do those things in myself, but I can do them through Christ. Paul understood this, right? He understood his inadequacy, so inadequacies. So as he's writing 13 books of the New Testament that we hold in our hand today, he called himself the chief sinner because he walked in humility. He understood he couldn't live the life that he was called to live apart from the person of Jesus Christ. So how do we live these out? We live it out with humility. Then we live it out with a grateful heart. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says that by the grace of God we have been saved. And through this grace we're also training, this grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and live self-controlled lives. And so how do we live it out? We live it out because we understand the only way we can live it is through the grace of God. That the grace of God, yes, it saves us from our sins, but it saves us to live righteous lives. And that's what motivates us to live our lives. So it's a grateful heart that causes us to live out Psalms 15. So as believers in Jesus, we don't read Psalms 15 and think, oh man, I feel like I can never measure up to him true, we can't. But I can be grateful that God has given me a way to live in a way that pleases him through Jesus. So I understand he's called me to live a blameless life. He's called me to live a life that is doing what is right, that is following his word, that he has called me to live in a way that my speech reflects what I believe. And so he's given us the grace to do that. And here's here's the thing. We have to choose though to receive that grace and let let that grace motivate our obedience to him. That as I look at Psalms 15, I don't look with despair. I look with confidence because his grace will motivate me to do that. Then I think the last one, and we don't like this word when it comes to following Jesus, but I think it's important, is determination. Determination. Is oftentimes when we talk about the grace of God, yes, the grace of God should motivate us, but the grace of God should also cause us to be determined. Listen to Paul's words. And, he, and Paul talked a lot about this in Philippians chapter three is one incident where he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So he's saying, not that I live Psalms 15 out perfectly, but I press on to make it my own. Paul's saying, I'm determined to follow Jesus. Why Paul? He says this because Jesus Christ has made me his own. So he said, I wanna live out my faith because, and I wanna be determined to do it because I belong to Jesus. So because I belong to Jesus, I look at Psalms 15 and say, yes, I wanna do that. Those aren't checklists for me to mark off and say I'm better than somebody else. Those are an invitation to life in Christ. It's an invitation for me to be all that God has called me to be. And so Paul says, I am determined to follow Jesus. I'm determined to do what he's called, called me to do. The danger in the church is this. We often, we, we don't want to talk about this effort that it takes to follow Jesus. So we swing over to this other side where it's just like, well, what it is, what it is, right? that I'm going to continue in sin, that grace may abound. I'm going to live whatever way I want to live. No, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, there should be a sense of determination in our heart that we want to be looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ. We should be coming more and more godly, more and more holy, more and more set apart. See, when you read Psalms 14, it's a a, a stark contrast between Psalms 15 and Psalms 14. Why? Because one is without Christ and one is with Christ. And that's a huge difference. And so our lives should be set apart and there has to be this determination through the grace of God to live out all that God has called us to be. This is how we live out Psalms 15. With the humility, with gratefulness, and with determination. And then what is the promise for us? Well, it's the same promise as Psalms 15 and verse 5 that says, he who does these things shall not be moved. There's a security in the relationship with God. Romans 8.1 puts it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the confidence we live with. Because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, our trusting in him, and he lives in us, now we live through him. And the confidence we have in him is there's no condemnation. That we're secure in our relationship with Christ. And so when I read Psalms 15, again, it doesn't become a checklist of things I've got to do in order for me to be secure in my relationship with Christ. No, it becomes a way for me to be drawn into a relationship, to be drawn in life in Christ. That the more I'm doing that, the more I'm looking at like Christ, but I am secure in my relationship with him because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you today are sitting in this room and there is a lack of security in your life, I would say that lack of security comes from a couple of things. One, you're not in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again. And the Bible says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will become a child of God. So maybe there's no security in your relationship with God because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. I would say today, today is the day of your salvation today is the perfect day for you to say yes to Jesus. If you've done that, if you're secure in that, John 10, once you're in the father's hand, nothing can take you out of the father's hand. If you're secure in that, if there's a lack of security in your life, then maybe it is because you've allowed sin to take root in your heart. That you've allowed those things that we listed, one of those things you just sort of given up on and you're just allowing sin to harden your heart towards God. And the Bible says this in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today you can secure that, you can make that relationship, although it's secure, you can make it right in your heart and mind by agreeing with God that yes, I have missed the mark Yes, I have allowed this sin to harden my heart towards you. I confess it to you. And the Bible says He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The ultimate question of our lives is this Are you prepared to be in the presence of God? Can you sing Psalms 15 with confidence? Because you know you're right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And you are seeking to live out those things through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the contrast of Psalms 15 and Psalms 14. That in Psalms 14 last week, we find ourselves depraved. None righteous, no, not one. And in Psalms 15, you... Bring us to the righteousness that can only come through your son, Jesus. So last week, we felt the weight of our depravity. This week, Lord, we feel the weight of our inadequacies. But all of these can be delivered and redeemed through Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to be rescued from our depravity. And thank you for making us making a way for us to live out your righteousness. I thank you, Father, that when you look at us, you don't see our righteousness, but you see the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. Help us then to live from that position in you. Help us to live out Psalms 15 so that we can live in this secure relationship in you, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.